This is our last series, our last message on the series, uh, Christmas at the Movies. And let me just say, I saved the best for last. This, this, is, this is my favorite. There's kind of been going a, a joke around our house, a little uh, bantering around our house, because I don't even tell my wife Kathleen what I'm speaking about next week, so she has to guess. So like this past week, and it was Tuesday or Wednesday, we're just getting ready to fall asleep. And all of a sudden she goes, I know. And I'm like, what? What do you know? She goes, I think you're going to do it. On this particular movie, I said, "Really? You're, that's what you're thinking about right now?" You're, she's just, she's into it. And many, she, Kathleen ran into somebody at Wegmans, and they're like, "I wonder what he's going to do next week. I wonder what he's going to do next week." And some of you guessed it. Some of you came up to me and guessed it. And it's Charlie Brown Christmas. That is just it. That this is somebody just get an amen. That is my favorite. I love this. Brings back so many memories for me as a child. In fact. When this movie first came out, when the show first came, the Christmas special came out, it came out on December 9th, 1965. How many remember 1965? How many of you, you lived, but you don't remember it because it was the 60s, man, right? Um, so, <laughs> so December 9th, 1965, uh, my mom was five months pregnant with me and my sister. I'm a twin. And my mom didn't know about it to a week before she gave birth. Surprise! That's a little side note uh, from this. Uh, true story. Uh, and so this, this came out uh, 1965, December 9th. And it was written by Charles Schultz. And uh, it came on the air. And, uh, you know, th- this was, they wanted something done pretty quickly. And uh, the background here of a Charlie Brown Christmas, it was done in basically six months on a very shoestring budget. And many thought that it would just become a huge flop. There's actually no laugh track to it. Um, the soundtrack was unorthodox, yet many, uh, there was many drawbacks, but it became an instant success. Um, and there's actually a little bit of controversy of making uh, this, this, this Christmas special uh, because they thought it was a little too religious, especially the part uh, with Linus reading uh, the account of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read that in just a minute. Um, And this is, Charles Schultz was quoted saying this, if we don't, who will? He's kind of coming against of all the other shows that were coming out. And and, and one of the things that I love that became huge with Charlie Brown Christmas is the jazz score by Vince Guaraldi. The music is the best. If you are a jazz lover, Charlie Brown Christmas is good. I've got, I, you know, I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my hit list. I listen to it all year long. It's just good jazz. If you like jazz, Vince Guaraldi is the man. That's good stuff right there. And so the music score is amazing. And, um, and so what's going on in this story? What's going on? And we're, as we, you know, if, if this is your first time here, we've been taking uh, popular Christmas movies and we've been diving into them and looking at the message behind it. What is the gospel message behind it? And let me just say something about a Charlie Brown Christmas. This thing oozes all over the place, the gospel message. And I'm so excited to dive into it. Um, But what's going on here? Here's the background. Well, Charlie Brown is depressed. What's new? So Charlie Brown, he's depressed. And he notices all the commercialism of, of Christmas. And he's trying to find out the true meaning behind Christmas. And so he begins to ask other people trying to find it and why he's so depressed. So I wanted you to look at the first video clip of Charlie Brown trying to figure out what Christmas is all about. Go ahead and look up at the screens at this time. May I help you? I'm in sad shape. 
Wait a minute. Before you begin, I must ask that you pay in advance. Five cents, please. Boy, what a sound. How I love to hear that old money clink. That beautiful sound of cold, hard cash. That beautiful, beautiful sound. Nickels, nickels, nickels. That beautiful sound of clinking nickels. All right, now. What seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aneurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or chephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! Actually, Lucy, my trouble is Christmas. I just don't understand it. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down. You need involvement. You need to get involved in some real Christmas project. How would you like to be the director of our Christmas play? Me? You want me to be the director of the Christmas play? Sure, Charlie Brown. We need a director. You need involvement. We've got a shepherd, musicians, animals, everyone you need. We've even got a Christmas queen. I don't know anything about directing a Christmas play. Don't worry, I'll be there to help you. I'll meet you at the auditorium. Incidentally, I know how you feel about all this Christmas business, getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. What is it you want? Real estate. <laughs> She's smart. So what do you have here? You've got, you've got Charlie Brown. He visits Lucy's psychiatric booth, and for five cents, she's going to give him some uh, help. And so she tells him all the phobias that he has and tells him to uh, tell him that she wants real estate. And, and she says, well, why don't you go direct the Christmas play? And so the play at first through the, through, through the show, Charlie Brown Christmas, is a disaster. No one's listening. They want the play to be modern. And then Lucy takes over, as, as Lucy does, and uh, takes over the play. And then she tells Charlie Brown to go buy the most gaudiest, bright, aluminum Christmas tree uh, that he can find. And so now uh, Charlie Brown goes on this pursuit to try to find a Christmas tree to try to brighten up the play. And look at this short clip of Charlie Brown going to buy the Christmas tree. I don't know, Linus. I just don't know. Well, I guess we better concentrate on finding a nice Christmas tree. I suggest we try those searchlights, Charlie Brown. This really brings Christmas clothes to a person. Fantastic.
they still make wooden Christmas trees? This little green one here seems to need a home. I don't know, Charlie Brown. Remember what Lucy said? This doesn't seem to fit the modern spirit. I don't care. We'll decorate it, and it'll be just right for our play. Besides, I think it needs me. So here he goes. He, he gets uh, the, the infamous Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And so instead of listening to Lucy, Charlie Brown buys the most pitiful Christmas tree you could think of. Uh, this was the only real Christmas tree in the lot among all the other gaudy uh, fake ones. And so here's a picture. I've got it. You know, here's the picture of the Christmas tree right there. There's the famous Christmas tree right there. And um, I, 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 I love this part of Charlie Brown because what Charlie Brown sees in this pitiful little tree in the middle of all these other gaudy Christmas trees is he sees the potential of this one. And he thought after decorating it, it would be perfect for the play. And I love what Charlie Brown says. He says, besides, I think it needs me. And so what Charlie Brown does is he brings the tree back and, and everyone except Linus makes, obviously makes fun of the tree. And then exasperated, Charlie Brown yells out, does anyone really know what Christmas is all about? And then we know the Linus steps up and... Um, He begins to read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, uh, in the middle of the play practice. And I want to read that for you, Luke chapter 2. And this is what Linus reads uh, about what Christmas is all about when Charlie Brown asks. And I'm going to read uh, verses 8 through 14 of the birth of Christ. You can follow along. We've got up the screens. If you want to pull out your Bibles, you can follow along there. But let's look at this. And we know that here's the shepherds with the angels. And Luke chapter 2, describing the birth of Christ. And it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And we know that's the true meaning of Christmas. And so what Charlie Brown does is he, he leaves the play and he's got a little more pep in his step now. And what I see here is there's so many things that are going on in this story that can relate to us. I remember as a child, just because I would watch this every year, when they would get to that part of Linus reading uh, the account of Jesus' birth, it, would, it always would catch me. It would make me stop and think for a moment. It kind of recalibrates you, doesn't it, from all the other stuff that's going on and all the other distractions that can go on during, during Christmas time. And, and, and so what we see with Charlie Brown is what we see in ourselves. It's the same problem that we have. We, we put our hope in things to actually make us happy. And, and what is it about, uh, about a Charlie Brown Christmas that makes this show so special? This is the reason why I like this particular Christmas show so much. It, it's the small, unnoticed things that are the most important. Those things that God seems to use the most. 
And that is really, if, you, if we really dig into the account of Luke chapter 2, this is what the birth of Christ is all about. What makes the birth of Christ so unique? His birth is so unique because here we have the savior of the world. The king of kings comes to earth, God incarnate to live among us, to come to where we are. And his birth is so unique. And I want to pull out of Luke chapter two, some of these unique things. And then at the end, kind of tie it in to what we see in a Charlie Brown Christmas. So what makes the birth of Christ so unique? Well, what God does is he, he used the inconspicuous birth of Christ to show the world his glory. This unassuming birth, not a whole lot of parade or hoopla, this inconspicuous birth God uses to show the world his glory. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why Jesus's birth was so simplistic because it symbolizes our lives that our lives, listen, we are broken. We, we, we have sin in us. We're born with, with sin in our lives. There's nothing glorious if we really look at our lives. There is nothing really worth saving when you look at our lives. But God said, because of the result of sin, I want to come and change all that for you. And that's why I'm giving you the gift of my son. So this is what I want to dig out of Luke chapter 2. God uses the most meager surroundings to show us his splendor out of this meager surrounding. God shows us his splendor. You see what God says, I want to take your life, even though your life may not seem glorious or there may not be a lot of splendor in your life. That's exactly what I want to do with you. I want to take all your brokenness and dysfunction and all that stuff. And I'm going to use it now for my glory. And so what God does in his birth, he shows us that in these meager surroundings, he shows us his splendor. You see, the savior of the world was wrapped in cloths and he's, he's placed in this manger, which is a crib for him. Mary and Joseph literally had nothing at this point, not even a decent place to stay. And this manger is this feeding trough for an animal. And Jesus was born and placed where, where, where animals most likely ate some type of stable and so why was the savior of the world born in this way, born in a stable? Why, why wasn't he born in such better surroundings? See, God wanted to communicate to us something very incredible through his humble birth. The humility of Christ's birth shows the heart of God. That Jesus wasn't born in a palace because we couldn't relate to that. He wasn't born to an aristocratic family. We couldn't relate to that. But what God does is he used his lowly birth to show us that God is approachable and he's accessible. That God says, I'm going to allow you to come near. And this is what makes Luke chapter two so incredible with the announcement that is given to the shepherds. So what God says this, I don't want to put any barriers in front of you, keeping you from coming to me. So I'm going to send you my son. That's going to open up the floodgates. That's going to tear down the wall. That's going to rip the curtain in half that you can now come into my presence. Do you realize there are no barriers to God in Christ Jesus? There's nothing that can separate us from God now 
in Christ Jesus. So what God actually tells you, he says, I want you to come near. I want you to peek into the manger. Don't be intimidated. Don't be fearful. And so what he does is he goes and he makes this announcement to the shepherds. And he says, listen, I want you to come. Come here. Check this out. I want you to see this thing. There's no bears. There's no gates to the palace that you can't. There's no secret code. There's no secret knock. There's no secret password. He says, just come. Come as you are. You see, what I love about the humility of, of Christ's birth and the meagerness of his birth, it just it relates to every single one of us. We're all in the same playing field. God says, just come. You know, you know stories I love the most? I love the stories of hearing people's difficulties. For some reason, when someone shares their difficulties or something that they're going through or a trial that they're going through and how God's helping them through it, for some reason, I relate to that more than the person that tells me that their child just received the Nobel Peace Prize or that they just got a full scholarship to Harvard. I, I can't relate to those stories, right? But when someone shares their hardship, I'm like, wow, I can relate to that. How many of us all have hardships? See, I want you to realize that God wanted to make his birth approachable to allow you to say, I can come near. There's no barriers to keep us from Christ. God says, I'm going to provide everything for you so that you can come near. And I want you to remember this, that your difficult stories make you approachable. God's meager, listen, God's meager birth of his son made Jesus approachable. Do you get that? There is no excuse. See, in your own life, when you share your difficult stories, for some reason, people can relate to you. They get close to you. All of a sudden, you have this relationship with somebody because you share something personal, something that you've gone through, some trial you've gone through, and all of a sudden, it makes you approachable. See, No one is excluded in coming to Jesus. Jesus' birth shows us there is no barrier to to him. He came as this humble king. And so what God does is he reveals his his son to meager people. So I love about uh, Luke chapter 2 because God reveals this to the most meager people, the most meager occupation at the time. And the occupation of a shepherd was probably considered one of the lowliest of the low jobs. But what I love about this is that it actually shows the heart of God, that he actually came for all people. And because of their occupation, they were considered unclean religiously, uh, which they were kept from all type of religious activities. Uh, They couldn't go into the temple because of their occupation. And, and, And this is exactly who Jesus came for. He came for those who were far off, He didn't come for the religious elite who thought they didn't need God, who thought that through their works and through their good works and through their religiosity, they could come near to God. But God gives them a stiff arm. God says, that's not how you approach me. You cannot approach God in your own righteousness. God will stiff arm you. Because our righteousness in comparison to God's holiness, God sees it as filthy rags. And so who does God go to? He doesn't go to the religious of the religious or the elite or the scribes or the priests. He goes to these lowly shepherds of the lowliest occupation. 
And he says, I want you to come near those who are far off. And so these shepherds uh, were far off into the fields. And God comes to these shepherds who are far away, far out in the fields. And then he calls them. He says, listen, man, I want you to check this thing out. And I want you to understand when they talk about a multitude of angels at this scene, that's just not one or two. One made the announcement, but then there just came this multitude. There could have been thousands of angels. Can you imagine that scene? There could be angels right behind me right now. You don't even know it. Duck your heads because one just flew over. No, I'm just teasing. There's angels that we entertain them without even knowing. See, there was thousands of angels that they were able to see with their own eyes. This is what God, God makes this great announcements to these lowly shepherds. And what makes his birth of, what makes the birth of Christ so powerful is this, is that God calls us to come. And so here's the good news in all of this. You may feel far away from God. You may feel like the most unreligious person. You may feel like you've blown it too many times, but guess what? That is the perfect resume for God. If you were to make out a resume for God and saying, God, why would you, here's my resume, God, and why you should receive me. God says, what I want on your resume is this. I'm messed up. Have you ever had a job interview and they, they ask you, can you share one of your weaknesses? And everybody always shares, well, I just work too hard. You know, I just work too hard and I just love people too much. That's, that's my weakness. I just, I love, I love people too much. That, that's, that's my weakness. I'm a workaholic. That, that's my weakness. I put too many hours in. That's my weakness, right? We never share what we're really, what, but God says, no, that's not your resume. No, I want to know. I want to know that you know that you're weak, that you're far off, and I'm going to draw you near. That's the resume that God looks at. And notice what God didn't say to these shepherds. God didn't say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're unclean. Time out. It's my son. He's holy. Time out. Before you come, you got to go through the ceremonial procedures first before you can come. Isn't it amazing how we tend to put hoops and barriers and hurdles in front of people before they even come to Christ? Well, you got to do this and you got to do that. Does he do any of that with these shepherds? They're unclean. They are, they are not clean. They weren't even, even allowed to go into the temple for worship. And God says, I want you to come. So I like what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, first, first show yourself to the priest. Then you can come and see my son. See, at this point, because of their occupation, they're not even allowed to celebrate the festivals, religious festivals, or even go into the temple. And so what did the shepherds do after they heard the message? They didn't look at each other and say, wait, hey, hey, Joe, shouldn't we kind of... I mean, this is thousand angels are just said stuff to us and glory to God in the highest. What do you think, man? Bob, what do you think, Bob? What should we do here? Should we, uh, I don't know. Should we clean ourselves up? I mean, we're pretty filled. We stink, man. We stink. I mean, we've been out here with the sheep and we just, you know, we stink. We're out here in the fields. You know, have you ever been camping for three or four days and no shower around? Okay. That's, you know, come on. This is what's going on. What, what do we do, Bob? What, what do we do? What do we do? They drop everything and they go. They're not thinking about that. All they're thinking about is seeing this Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
And this speaks to me so much. Because what did the shepherds do immediately after they heard the message? This is so important for us to hear. They dropped everything and they came just as they were. They came dirty and smelly and filthy. I love this. They didn't try to clean themselves up. Listen, so many times we think, well, if I come to church or I, uh, you know, I come back to, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work on it. How many know we all got things to work on, right? Our laundry list is deep and, and long. We all got things to work on. Listen, God says, you just come, you drop everything, you come and let me do the work in your heart, in your life that needs to be done. And this speaks to me so much because it wasn't that God didn't care about the law or just giving the shepherds a pass. God knew that his son, that the savior would die for their sins and our sins also, that he would complete all the regulations of the law would be fulfilled in his son, Jesus. So God says, listen, come just as you are, all your uncleanliness, come with all your unrighteousness, you just come. And so God never asked them to bring anything. Well, what should we bring? What should we bring? What should we bring the Savior? Is there anything that I should bring him? They just came as they were. God didn't tell them to bring anything either. The shepherds had absolutely nothing to give Jesus except their lives. Amen? Nothing. Not their, not their status because they had none. Not their religious background because they weren't allowed in the place of worship. They had nothing. They came exactly as they were. Filthy, unclean, no gifts, no status, no education, no status symbols, nothing. That's exactly how God wants us to come. Stripped, naked, here I come, God. I'm giving you everything that I have, and that's my life. Because I've got nothing to give you that would ever impress you. God says, you come just as you are. And so what we do is we come, and then he changes, changes us. Now, there is something that I never noticed in the Charlie Brown Christmas story. Because Linus reads this great passage of the Bible, and that's like, this is what Christmas is all about. But I never really noticed the end of the movie, because the end of the movie is all about you and I. And this is something that I caught this year that I never caught before. And this is the heart of the gospel message. So what I want to do is I love the ending of a Charlie Brown Christmas. So what I want you to do is I want you to watch the ending and see if you can catch the deeper meaning here. And then we'll wrap all this stuff up and, uh, and we'll close. So go ahead and look at the screens at this time. Joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Linus is right. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. I'll take this little tree home and decorate it. And I'll show them it really will work in our play. dog is not going to ruin my Christmas. I've killed it. Oh, everything I touch gets ruined. a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. Charlie Brown is a blockhead, but he did get a nice tree. go so anybody catch it besides lucy still needs jesus okay we know that here's the thing that i love about the end of this um and it's something that i've missed but it's the tree it's it's the tree this the tree actually screams the gospel message because actually we are the tree so let, 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 me, let, let, me, let me explain why, why I, I believe this, why I believe that, that, that we're the tree. Charlie Brown goes and with all the, other, all the glitz and the glamour and the aluminum, he picks, he picks the least of these. He picks the one that no one else would pick. He picks the worst one, the worst so-called Christmas tree, but all it needed was a little love. And here's the thing I want you to realize. Charlie Brown was the only one willing to purchase the tree. No one else wanted. Everybody else overlooked it. And it seemed like it was of no use. And what happens? This tree is not only redeemed, it's not only purchased, but it's restored. You see, here's what I want us to see this morning. What God does for you and I is that he purchases us. He's the only one 
that was willing to purchase us. He's, he was the only one that was willing to come as a baby. He is the only one that was willing to go to the cross for you and I to purchase us back. You see, what happens is if, if we understand the Bible correctly, this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we're all slaves to sin. And there's no way that we could redeem ourselves. There's no way that, that, that we could escape this penalty of sin. It separates us from God. And so what God does for you and I, he says, you know what? I'm going to purchase you back. I'm going to buy you back through the very precious blood of my very own son, who is perfect in every way, who is God. And I'm going to buy you back. And not only that, not only am I going to purchase you back, not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to restore you. And I'm going to restore life to you once again. And I'm going to restore the things that were broken because of sin. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. He was the only one that was willing to purchase us. That's how much God loves you and cares for you. He doesn't want you to remain in that state of unworthiness and brokenness before God. He says, I'm sending my son to do that for you. Charlie Brown thought that he killed the tree, but isn't it amazing how God uses our brokenness and he's the one who restores us in Christ. So every time you see the Charlie Brown Christmas tree or you watch the special, I want you to be reminded this is why Jesus came. He came to restore and to redeem us because this is what the message of Christmas is all about. We bring our broken lives to Christ and he restores us. So the question I want to ask you as we just close and as we just, we're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing as they sang at the end of the, at the special. What broken thing is in your life? If you were to look at your life and you were to look at your past, say, man, pastor, my, my, there's a lot of broken things in my life. What thing do you need to give to Christ today and say, I, I need you to restore? Maybe it's a habit that you've been holding on, secret sin that you've been holding on, and this thing has caused brokenness and strife in your life. What broken thing is in your life? Maybe it's a broken relationship. What broken relationship is in your life that you need to be restored? See, God wants to take those broken things and he wants to redeem them for his glory and for his purposes. See, the whole reason why Jesus came was to restore the broken relationship that we had with God because of our sin. And because of our sin, we were enemies with God. But now because of Jesus Christ, we now become friends with God. And so if I'm allowing the gospel message to permeate my life, if I understand about the love of God and that he receives me just as I am, and it's only through his grace and his mercy that I'm saved through my faith in Christ Jesus, then listen to me. Look at me just for a second. We're going to close. Listen, this is so important. If you get that, then you have to be willing to allow God to use you to extend grace and mercy to others to fix brokenness that's in your life. Allow God to take those things and to repair them for his glory. And so the reason why it's so wonderful to be born again 
or to be a new creation in Christ is because he makes all things new. That doesn't mean we're not going to have a difficult life. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through trials. But guess what? When you have a new heart and a new life, you're not faced with those trials alone any longer. Christ is with you. And he says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love now. You're restored. You're redeemed. I've deposited my Holy Spirit within you. That's that's the paraclete, the the one that comes alongside of you, the one that's going to be your comforter. So that's what God does for us. So just think for a moment, what thing is broken right now in my life that God needs to redeem? Not only redeem, but restore. Allow God to restore the brokenness in your life so that he can breathe life into you. That's the message of Christmas. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we admit that we're broken, that we're just like this tree that nobody wanted, that no one cared about, that everyone overlooked. But Jesus... You loved us so much that you came, that you're the only one willing to to buy us and purchase us and redeem us and restore us. And for that, we're so thankful. And I just pray for every person in this place today that is just battling with past or condemnation or guilt because of whatever it may be, God, broken relationships, brokenness because of sin. And Lord, I pray that we would lay those things at your feet, that you would restore that brokenness, God, that you would heal us of that, that and when we come to you, we would sense your grace and your mercy overflowing in our lives. And then God, when you touch our heart, hearts, may we be conduits that it not only comes in us, but it flows through us, God, that we extend grace and mercy to others that so desperately need to hear of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for your healing power today. Thank you for the power of the gospel message. And I just pray that you would touch every heart in this place today, God. Thank you, Lord, that we are now trophies of your grace, that you redeem us for your glory and your purposes to allow your life to shine through us now. So thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. We glorify your name and we thank you for just loving us today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.